We continue with our scripture this morning, and we want to read um, our main text uh, that we'll be looking at this morning. It comes from 1 John 2, um, and this is, uh, this, is a, this is a big one. It's really small, but it's a big one. It says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. That's a full stop right there. That's a, that's a big pause. If you love the things of this world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Okay? John is not parsing words here. He's not saying you can do a little bit of both. You can have a little bit of Jesus in you and you can have a little bit of the world in you and they can get along just fine. John is clearly pointing out to us, if you love the things that the world has to offer over the things that God has to offer to you, you do not have God. You can say you have God, but you do not have God. He continues on. He says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the father, but they are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Okay, that's what I want. That's what I'm going to sign up for. Anything, I, I want the things of the world to fade away, the things that people crave of this world to fade away, because I want to do what pleases God. But the problem is, I don't always do that. The problem is, I can come out with great intentions. I can come to church and pray and read my Bible and, and sing great songs during worship. But the problem stops there with me, myself, because I also crave the great things that the world has to offer, or at least they look great on the outside. And so we are in week four of our series on practices, spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines called In and Out. And we have been working through um, this, um, it's not an acrostic, it's like more of a, an acronym um, in worship. And so we've searched the uh, w and the O of worship already. We talked about um, worship as a practice. We've talked about openness as a practice. And this week we've come to the R in worship. Um, and already the W and the O have brought so much fruit to our lives as we've begun to see God in new places and open our lives to him and, and to practice those things of, of, that we need to, to just be more open to him. Remember, we, these are not to-do lists. When we talk about spiritual practices, they're not like, I need to do these things in order to be better in my life. Spiritual practices are all about opening space intentionally so that we can know God deeper and we can come to a loving relationship with him. So we're intentionally creating space through these practices of um, the discipleship. And so this discipleship that we're going to practice today, the R is relinquishing false self. And it probably is the hardest one that we're going to talk about. It's the most difficult to overcome because we get in our own way so often. We have this, this fence, this wall that we've put up and these defenses that come through. And to break those down, to try and fight against ourselves to break those down really becomes an impossible task. 
The fa- because the false self does not want to be destroyed. The false self is going to fight against everything in order to stay alive, to stay present in your world, in your life. And so the false self is constantly reinforcing itself and telling you lies about things that you want to believe in and telling you things that are not true about who you are and telling you lies about the desires that you have in your life. Now, Paul begs the Ephesians to lay aside the old man and put on the new man who has been created in God's image, Ephesians 4, 22. And this false self, it alienates us from others and, and, and alienates us from God, really. Because what are we doing? We're putting something in front of us. We're putting a shield around ourselves to protect us. But it ends up getting in the way of who we really are. And so we can't interact properly with God. We can't interact properly with each other. We can't come to God in proper worship because our posture is one of defense. It's one of running away. It's one of cowering and hiding. Jesus tells the rich young man that in order to be perfect, he must give up his claim to everything he owns. And how does he walk away? Does he, does he jump for joy? Is he gleeful? Is he just so happy that Jesus has told him to give up everything that he owns? No, he walks away sad and dejected because he wants Jesus. He sees that this is a better way of life, but the false self is in the way. The false self says, I actually have a better life here. You don't need a life in Jesus because all of your needs are satisfied by the things that you have accumulated. Now, Jesus was speaking in hyperbole there. It was a rhetorical device in the Greek language. But what if he wasn't? What if it wasn't hyperbole? What if he wasn't exaggerating? What if Jesus was serious that our claim, uh, that our claim to our place in this world was holding us back from knowing him and ourselves deeper? What if the things that were anchoring us here were ultimately the things that were destroying us? And we know the Bible speaks of the false self quite a lot, but it calls it something else from time to time. And we've talked about it a couple times already. Idols. The false self is addicted to idols. It's addicted to things that are not real. It's addicted to things that are made out of wood and metal, things that we do not rely on for our new life. So part of relinquishing the false self is learning to identify idols in your life, learning to identify these things that keep coming up that cause the false self to be there. The false self is this fabrication on secondary things that we idolize, like reputation or success or status, jobs, family, popularity, wealth, money, health. I could go on and on. These all become idols in our lives because we put more trust in them than we put in God. And so think, think since these things are secondary, the false self is always vulnerable. It's always vulnerable to an attack on any of these secondary things. Always vulnerable, always open to the possibility that one day all these things just go away. And so the truest test for an idol in your life is to see how you react when something is threatened. 
What if it gets taken away? How are you going to react? So let's look at the young, rich ruler once again. How did he react when that thing was threatened? He was sad and dejected and he walked away depressed because that thing that he had in his life, that wealth, was an idol. Because if it's taken away from him, he's threatened and he fights back and he doesn't want someone to take that from him. These are idols in our lives and you're already in your mind thinking, what are the things in my life that I would be threatened by if they were taken from me. I think at the top of the list is family. I think for a lot of us in this room that if family is, started, is threatened, if family is taken away, then we're going to start to react poorly to that. I think that's good. I think that we want to fight for family. We want to fight for all of those things. But are we trusting family over God? Are we trusting ourself over God? So our idols are usually constructed as defense mechanisms to prevent harm from something or someone. You can, in fact, take your greatest fear that you have in life. Mine's moths, obviously. But um, the opposite is usually an idol in your life. So let's think, let's not think about moths anymore because that's scaring me. But let's think about like, like the fear of uncertainty. If you fear most in life uncertainty, then your idol is going to be for control. Oh, I want to get you right in your living room. If you fear rejection in your life, then your idol is going to be Approval. You see how our idols are built on the very thing that make us the weakest? That the, the, the devil finds, he's so good at his job. He's so good at what he does. He finds the weakest part in us and he starts to build a stronghold on it. He says, you know what? Is your biggest fear stress and demands? Well, then I'm going to make an idol out of comfort for you. Oh, isn't it nice to feel comfortable? Isn't it nice to just relax all the time? Yeah, you don't have to worry about stress and demands because you love comfort. Here's some comfort for you. But watch what happens when it's taken away. Maybe your biggest fear is humiliation or embarrassment. Then you've built an idol on power so that you can always be above everyone else so that you don't have to be put into positions of embarrassment and humiliation. It's no wonder that we live in such an anxious world. We have anchored our identity in things that fade away. We've anchored who we are, who we're becoming, our present self, in things that will not be here tomorrow, things that will disappear at a moment's notice. Power, control, approval, comfort, all of that stuff built on nothing. And so our truest identity is a gift we receive from God. That's who we are. And what the Bible says about who we are is so much different than what the world says we are or what we say we are or what we've built our false self to say that we are. Scripture tells us, listen to these things that Scripture tells us we are. We are chosen We are beloved. We are friends of Jesus. We are made in God's image. We are the temple of God. We are God's art 
work. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know what I didn't hear in any of that? You are worthless. You are garbage. You are stupid. You'll never be anything. The first thing God says about human beings is that they are good. And when we build our life around that, when we anchor it to that truth, the devil does not stand a chance. Because he came into our lives in Genesis 3, and he said, did he really mean that? Did he really say that? Why don't you be in control of yourself? Why don't you be in control of your own destiny? Why don't you decide for yourself what's better for you? And let's see how that works out. This is good, and yet we live in a way that is so completely opposite. We live in a way that we don't believe that it's true. We live in a way that says the devil has won because we're awful people. That's not what I see. And so part of this false self, part of destroying these idols that we have in our lives is understanding the identity that we have received from God. We can become so obsessed with achievements and possessions that we forget whose we are. Not what we are, but whose we are. And so the overall question from our passage this morning is, what controls you? Or maybe this is even better, who controls you? And we, we want to talk a lot about freedom. We want to talk about, well, you know, I, I'm a free person. I can do whatever I want with my body. That's fine. Do that. And then tell me how that works out for you. Because what God has said is you are not your own. You are mine. And so this community, this body, this knowledge, everything is used not for me, but for God. God gets to determine how this community turns out. God gets to determine the course of my life. I don't have a say in that. And that's okay with me. That's freedom. Freedom is not being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, because nobody is the boss of you. Freedom is being free in Christ to accept that he is the one we're living for and living with, and living through, and living because of. Nothing more. What controls you? Or, better yet, what are you attached to? What do you feel so strongly about that you've had to attach yourself to so it doesn't let go? Do not love this world means do not let your heart be controlled by the false things in life the constructed things, the human things. Do not be attached to those. We as humans are captivated by the outward show of things without really inquiring into their values. Take a stroll down TikTok. Take a stroll down Instagram or Facebook and you will see how obsessed we are with the outward appearance of things without really stopping to question the real value that it has. That's easy, because that's what the world says is good. And anyone that's got an opinion or anyone that's got a nice house or lives in a van, we want to listen to these people because clearly they have something going on. 
Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, whoever loves money never has enough. That's it. Your love of wealth, the love of the things of this world will never be enough for you and you always want more. What's next? What's next? What's next? What will make me happy? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you can't serve God and money. Now that's a very interesting translation. That's the way we've always known it to be. The word money there is the word mammon, which actually means things that you put your trust in. So things like wealth and health and family and a job and protection, all of these things, Jesus is standing there and saying, you cannot serve both of those things. You cannot serve God and then also something else that you trust because you will be a slave to one and not a slave to the other. One will be your master, one will control you, and the other one will not. And so Jesus is giving us the question, Who controls you? What are you attached to? Relinquishing false self is about releasing desire and devotion to the flesh and grasping desire and devotion to the spirit. And so according to what we read in 1 John, idols fall into two categories. All flesh desires are misplaced spirit desires. Sorry, I just read that. That was my fault. So two categories Unholy desires for things we don't have and unholy pride in things that we do have. Those are your idols. Those are the idols in our lives, the things that we base our false self on. Unholy desires for things we don't have, unholy pride in the things we do. Oh, okay. Oh, let's think about this for a second. How many of these line up to the Ten Commandments? All of them do. Because God, in the very beginning, when he was forming a community, said, you're going to desire the things you don't have, and you're going to take pride in the things you do have, and I want to stop that right now. Because if you love me, if I am your God, you can serve me, but you cannot serve these things. And then Moses went up the mountain, and he was delayed. And what they do? They built a golden idol. Our God hasn't arrived, so let's make a God for ourselves. And then just like that, we've fallen into unholy desires for the things we don't have and unholy pride for the things that we do. The relinquishing practices are about surrendering our claim on worldly attachments and anchoring our lives in the identity of Christ. And here's the great thing. The cross is the icon of Christ. And therefore, it's the icon of our lives as well. Death to the flesh, alive in the spirit. And we always think of this in terms of the spiritual part of it. I'm a Christian. I follow Christ. I die with him. I am resurrected with him. And all that is great. That means I can live forever. But what about right now? That means we have died to the flesh, we've died to the body, we've died to the things of this world, and we are resurrected and we live now in the things of the Spirit. That's the death for us. 
So we come now to relinquishment practices. What can we do to make space in our lives that will help us to start to let go, to start to get rid of some of these idols, some of these false selves that we have? Now, I think that the relinquishment uh, disciplines, really, it's, it's meant for detachment of idols that vie for our attention and attach us to our true identity in Christ. And it's really through the practice of relinquishment that we can detach from strivings and unmask the false self with its pretenses, attachments, and agendas. This is really about uncovering things that are hidden. This is really about uh, calling something what it is rather than trying to grab to it. And so we're going to talk here about our five practices of relinquishment. And so the first one is the practice of detachment which is really we desire to nurture the spirit of trust that is attached to God alone. And so this is really the overall idea, the overall theme, that when we are doing a detachment practice, um, we, we really want to just cut off all of those things that are holding us back. We want to detach ourselves from things that are standing in our way. Uh, no one can perfectly love God unless he gives up his affections for perishable things. Our free will is never so free as when it is a slave to God's will. So we want to think about what sort of practices come from detachment and what sort of things we can do. Well, we need to first name and confess our attachments. We need to see them. We need to name them. We need to give them no place to hide. When we name something, we can fix it. We don't go to the doctor and he says, well, you've got something. He has to name what you have and then he can start to fix it. So when we can name and confess our attachments, then we can start to fix them. We can start to see them in the light of day. We need to start letting go of image management. We, we can practice trusting outcomes to God rather than trusting the things of this world. We can allow others to lead and win. And we can honor the freedom of others and refuse to manipulate uh, and control them. Um, those are some of the big practices for detachment and how to remove those false self. Um, here's maybe some practical ideas for like what we can actually do. Um, take, uh, take an attachment uh, inventory. So like go around your house, spend a day, uh, spend a few minutes uh, thinking about the things you're attached to and write them down. And then pray over them and say, God, I have been attached to these things for far too long. They're getting in the way of my life with you. I give them to you. I no longer want to be attached to them. Um, Here's a way we can practice detachment. Letting go by giving away something you're attached to. So instead of just praying about it, let's take it one step further. And let's say, I'm going to hand this over to someone else. I don't want this anymore. You can have it. I'm too attached to it. Imagine if we all practice that radicalness of giving things away that we're attached to. Another practice we can do is ask God to give us more opportunities to become more detached. So we just say, God, I'm open to you. I want this space in my life for you. Give me an opportunity to become detached from this. Give me the opportunity to say, God, I need this out of my life. Uh, the second practice of relinquishment is the desire, uh, the practice of self-control. 
So we desire to live with moderation and full attachment to God. We can never be fully invested in God if we have not controlled ourselves. The fruits of the Spirit, that list of nine things that Paul gives us, you know, peace, patience, all that. The last one is self-control because it's really the most important one of them all. Because even love that gets out of control turns to lust. And even joy that becomes unbridled becomes this optimism that can't be stifled. Self-control is the defining nature of a Christian. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And this perfect picture of the devil waiting to pounce on us. If we get too controlled by something, television, sports, whatever it might be, money, power, whatever it is, that's controlling us. And the devil's just waiting for us to be sucked in to something like that so he can use it to distract us from what we want to do in our life with God. Addictions are rooted in us being the center of attention. And every addiction is an addiction to ourselves. We want more of ourselves. We're so in love with that. Give me more. So practices include don't enable addictive behavior. Don't enable that part of your life. Don't give yourself an excuse to divulge in that kind of behavior. And then start to replace addictive habits and harmful habits with good addictive habits. Um, things that you can do instead. And we can always find a better thing to do. You have to start by looking, is this something that's going to harm me? Is this something that is not good for my life? And how can I do the opposite of that thing? How can I learn to do good things in my life? Here's the next one, and this is a big one for us in our world today. Silence and solitude. We desire to free ourselves from the addiction to and distraction of noise so we can be totally present to the Lord. Now, silence and solitude are two different things because silence is about your voice and solitude is about your environment. And so in the process of those two things, we want to silence both of them. In silence, we want to cut our noise and our voice out. And in solitude, we want an environment that is quiet So we are striving for basically the same thing, but in two different ways. Um, What was Jesus's favorite practice, his favorite spiritual discipline? Waking up early in the morning, going off to a solitary place and praying. You can read about it through all the gospels. Jesus withdrew from the crowd. He found a quiet place and he prayed until he was restored in spirit. So practices in silence and solitude include, would you believe it? Silence. That's what it includes. Doing activities in silence, whether you're washing your car or your dog, driving through town on a walk with someone, do it in silence. Don't talk. Don't listen to music. Turn everything off. We want to give God time and space that is not in competition with any social contract, contact. So when we go off by ourselves, we're not using it as a time to be with other people. We want to be in solitude so that we can see and meet Jesus together in solitude and quietness. And start to learn to practice spiritual disciplines alone. Learn to be your own 
self-coach for reading the Bible and praying. You don't need other people prompting you to do that. Learn to do it by yourself. Learn to do it intentionally. Um, Maybe some practical advice. If you're not used to being quiet, if you're not used to not talking or sitting in silence, set a timer uh, because you'll drive yourself crazy. So start with like 10 minutes or five or maybe one minute is a lot for you. So just start a timer for something and work yourself up to that, all right? And I want you to learn to grow in that. Make the silence grow longer and longer and longer as that continues on. Um, And then also intentionally seek silence and solitude. So sometimes we're like, "Uh, if I can find a quiet moment away, if I have a few minutes, then I'll go and do that. No, we need to actively and intentionally seek to make quiet space for God in our lives. That is what we need to do intentionally, not just let it find us and go to it. Two more here. Submission is the first one, to have Jesus as the master of my life in absolutely every way. Paul writes in Ephesians, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so practices would include seeking God no matter where it leads. We think we have it all figured out when we see God in this one place and he's shown up and he said, let's go this way. And I'm, yep, I know exactly where you're taking me. But we have to be open and ready for God to show us new things as he's leading us. Um, Allow others to mentor or disciple or teach you or correct you or guide you. When we're in submission to one another, that means we're acting in reverence to one another. It means that we are acting as though we're not more than them, but that we are not more than them right? That's the opposite. So we want to do the opposite of everything that we feel. So in submission, we're putting ourselves sub below them. And the way that this works, I mean, you can't have just everyone below everyone else. There always has to be. But in those moments when someone can teach you or guide you or correct you, allow them to do that. Don't rob them of that opportunity. And then you can be a submissive person in that moment and say, God, what are you showing me through this moment. Lay aside the need to be in charge every place you go. uh, Lay aside any time that you think you need to be in control of this situation. That's what submission means to me. And so the last one, this is the one that I'll be practicing this week. And again, remember, this is not a to-do list. You don't have to do all of these. Find one that you struggle with. Find one that's speaking to your heart and saying, yeah, that's the thing right there that I need to zero in on. This is the one I'm going to work on this week. And that's the practice of waiting. We desire to patiently trust in God's goodness and timing in the events and relationships in our lives. And so practices include not imagining the worst case scenario while you wait. Our minds wander. They go everywhere. Remember, God, uh, Moses went up the mountain to meet with God and the Israelites were waiting and waiting and waiting. And what did they do while they waited? They just started to build idols for themselves. So waiting is so important that we do it correctly, that we wait on God. And when we wait, we can stay in the present moment. We don't start to think about the future. We don't start to think about the past. We can think about this present moment. Um, And here's the big one. In waiting, we definitely are not waiting for the future you to arrive. We're like, wow, that would be great if I could be a lot more patient or I could be more loving or I didn't, you know, uh, was so addicted to television or whatever. That would be great. I, I would be happy to meet that person someday. 
But you know, this is a journey. I'm on a path. I'm, I'm, I'm letting God guide my steps. No. Start today. Don't wait for that person to show up. Start acting like that person. What would that person do if they were here right now? Waiting also allows us to give others the space and time that they need to change. And so those are the relinquishment practices, things that we can do in our lives to open up a space to God that allows us to just strip ourselves of those false narratives that we've built ourselves up in. There's a place that we can drop idols to give all of that back to God.